We've had a bit of a virtuous cycle around pharma and life sciences material here at Tech Emergence. If you go on Google and you type in AI and pharma or AI and life sciences or machine learning and healthcare, you're going to see us ranking number one and in some cases number one and number two for a lot of those big terms. In turn, that's meant that we have tens of thousands of life sciences AI folks tuned in and a lot of the time when we have kind of sponsored programs and we work with, let's say, an event company or a startup that might be in the pharma space, it's because they see our results on number one and they, they want to be uh, right there in front of that same audience as soon as somebody searches for machine learning solutions in pharma, for example. That has given us additional excuses to write more content about this space. And as it turns out, life sciences is an area where we have a lot uh, of our audience is a big, big segment at this point, thanks to that virtuous cycle. And that means that we have more and more excuses to find cool new topics to cover. This week, we do exactly that, and we interview Amir Safari, who is currently the Senior Vice President of AI at a company called Benevolent AI. Uh, some of you may have not heard of this firm. They've recently raised, I think, a total of $200 million. This is a, a London-based drug discovery firm that's actually quite new, but they've raised a lot of money in short order to sort of overhaul drug development with machine learning baked in at every sort of phase of the process. So in this interview, I, I speak with Amir uh, in terms of two very important sort of dynamics of AI in the pharmaceutical and the drug discovery space. One of them is, how will machine learning play a role in all the various phases of drug discovery, from generating hypothesis, testing initial compounds, taking things through clinical trials? What does that look like with machine learning in all of those phases? Uh, how can we kind of paint a picture of that future? And Amir does a good job of that. And secondly, if we look five or ten years into the future, what is the role of man and what is the role of machine in drug discovery? In other words, what will machines be able to automate and potentially do better than people? And what will be the most important jobs of people managing these very capable machines who can potentially generate better hypotheses than we can? Where, where will humans sort of fit the bill? What part of the process are humans going to be critical in? And Amir, I think, paints a pretty compelling vision of that as well. So this is one of many pieces in the coming two or three months that I'm sure we'll do in the life sciences space. We certainly have so much more interest in this domain and we're working with so many more exciting companies uh, in this space as well. I hope that this is an interesting interview for those of you in that space. And for those of you who aren't, I think a lot of the dynamics that Amir sort of describes here are pretty well applicable to how other specialized processes in, say, finance or retail or marketing might also be transformed in the years ahead. I think the analogies are pretty strong here too. So without further ado, I am Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and you're listening to Amir Safari with Benevolent AI. So Amir, where I thought we'd begin today is uh, just sort of highlighting some of the current hangups in the scientific process where AI might be able to help. I know some of the big initiatives at Benevolent are around sort of improving the scientific process generally, which is certainly a, a bold endeavor. What do you see as kind of the biggest problems there now where AI might eventually help? Um, it's, it's a very good question. I think uh, if you look into um, drug discovery, where we've been focusing a lot, the whole process of going from you know initial ideas to drugs that finally uh, can be taken to to patients is a fairly complex process, and I think uh, if you try to map it out, there are many many steps that uh, that are in between from going from that initial idea to to drugs that goes in patients. 
And I think if you also look into industry and how it is, um, it's, it's organizing itself around these uh, steps, it's tracking that, you know, there is very little use of actually data to make, you know, decisions at each of these steps to be able to utilize the data that comes from each of these steps to inform the other. And, you know, this is just a prime opportunity for, you know, areas like machine learning to step in and actually, you know, utilize all of this data that we generate to make better decisions, to generate better ideas, to generate better hypotheses, design better experiments, and all in all, accelerate the, the entirety of this process. Cool. Okay. So, and I think for the folks tuned in, I think most people will be familiar, whether you're in pharma or not in the life sciences space, as to how complicated the clinical trial and drug discovery sort of processes altogether, I think people assume, and maybe in some cases rightly so, that these are uh, well-informed, systematized processes that in, in many regards have some degree of kind of math and data that can be leveraged for maybe finding proteins or other facets of the process. But certainly there's some of them that are clunky and older and uninformed uh, by data. What are some of those parts of the system, the process, the machine here that really do need to be revamped in your opinion? Um, so I'll, I'll start actually from uh, actually definition of disease, because I think that's one of the um, interesting you know, concepts that, uh, again, I'm coming from purely you know, machine learning background. So yeah. my history in biology at the company uh, is, is, is fairly recent. But if you think about you know, many of the um, entities that, um, that we're interested in, uh, a lot of them have physical realities to them. So, you know, a, a, a gene, uh, you know, is, is something physical. A drug a compound is something physical. But as you start moving towards, let's say, diseases uh, and what is a disease, there's actually very little uh, physical reality to it. You know, you might be classifying disease based on symptoms or, or the kind of cells that they occur in or, or very different, you know, kinds of classification of diseases. But if you want to take a, uh, you know, um, a machine learning eye into it, you can ask a question that, you know, can I use data to actually define what a disease is? Because if I'm doing, let's say, clinical trials, I'm trying, uh, trialing the same compound on a population of patients, and I see different responses that are coming back from these patients, all of those patients have been classified under the same disease. But, you know, clearly when I apply the, disease, uh, apply the drug to these uh, patients, you know, I'm getting different responses. So what is different here? You know, why... You know, am I not getting a, a coherent response from all of these patients? And again, you can think of this as a, as a machine learning problem, saying that, you know, can I use the data to define what the disease is? What are the subpopulation of patients are? And then put more, uh, you know, maybe a genetics or, or, or molecular signatures behind each of these uh, patients and actually take that to the beginning of the process in, in drug discovery, which is, you know, this is the disease. I want to find a drug for it. So you can see that, you know, how far stretched these two um, streams of work are. So one is uh, at the you know, clinical phase. The other one is you know, the beginning of the generating ideas and, and, and hypotheses. And in many places, these are just further apart. And, and these folks do not talk to each other. They do not use um, data that uh, gets generated. So in a way, you know, this is, this is one of the prime examples of where machine learning can help to, to bridge the gaps and how, how we can bring all of this data together. Got it. And so I'm going to try to nutshell this and make sure that I'm on the right page for the, uh, the listeners here. Um, it sounds like, you know, it, the, the goal is moving from as much as possible from kind of anecdotal to quantifiable. So we have a set of conditions, we have a set of symptoms, we have a set of 
kind of roughly describable things that we try to cluster and develop a, a solution for. What you're talking about here is figuring out at a deeper level, analyzing the data, whether it be uh, previous medications used or actual kind of genetic links with the patient themselves or some kind of compound found in the phlegm of the patient or Lord knows what, uh, if we can find a tighter, actual, quantifiable segment that maybe really identifies what we're going after instead of using these sort of broader descriptors to try and solve problems. It, it sounded to me like that's to some degree what you were describing. I just want to make sure that I'm on the right page. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, again, you know, uh, talking about you know, where the synergies are between uh, you know, different stages of uh, discovering drugs. So ultimately, if you're putting drugs into patients for an indication, what defines an indication is often overlooked. And um, if you're starting from very early on, you know, somebody coming up with hypotheses is around maybe this target is a, is a good hypothesis to be, uh, to be looked into in the context of this disease. Um, uh, and then we are going towards the you know, uh, other end of it where we are testing this in, in patients. You know, these things aren't connected to each other at all. And, you know, again, if you're thinking of, you know, from a system perspective uh, and then from machine learning perspective, you try to look into all of these components and saying, OK, you know, I, I see what is going on here. But, you know, can I use the data from, let's say, next stage to actually inform what happens in the previous stage or even, you know, uh, two stages before? And how I'm going to use this data to make better decisions um, all of this, you know, can uh, are prime examples of where you know machine learning uh, can influence, and uh, is actually you know very influential at the moment. Cool. And and another area that that maybe ties to this sort of process of discovery that certainly is at least on your website there is with regards to sort of the scientific literature. I think um, there's a lot of folks who gripe about the fact that there's a million black boxes of these different isolated papers, and that to read even all the abstracts, never mind all the papers, is clearly impossible, but that there are insights that might help us suggest answers to different diseases or, or possible drugs to develop, if only we could kind of collate the insights there. Is there possibility of improving that part of the game as well? Is that currently on the radar? Is that more, a little bit more kind of down the line? Where, where are we in terms of making, I guess, the vast sea of dark research into something that we can kind of light up and find correlations in and inform decisions by? No, it's, 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 it's a very spot on uh, question. Um, it is uh, one of the areas that uh, as a company we've focused a lot, try to machine read all the literature, all the patent documents, you know, many of these, as you say, you know, there are enormous amount of research that gets published every day. Um, and often, you know, people that uh, work in a uh, specific scientific domain they will be very focused, laser focused on one area, so they wouldn't read the journals that maybe you know are, are sitting in neighboring uh, fields. But there are a lot of relevant data that uh, gets published in those uh, articles, um, which you know can can inform the decisions again that you make in, in the let's say disease area that you are researching at. So absolutely, um, um, we uh, we machine read uh, all the available uh, literature, try to pull it together in what we call a knowledge graph, which is a uh, a a big database of all the facts that uh, can be extracted from uh, all these literature. Uh, and that forms the basis of uh, many of the hypotheses that we generate in the company to find uh, biological uh, therapeutic targets, let's say, for, for diseases. Huh, yeah, and that's, that whole domain, I think, is going to be a really exciting space to watch because I don't think anybody exactly knows 
kind of how to crack that per se yet. In other words, to, to get to the point where any drug development firm or any doctor in any hospital can sort of inform better the decision that they're trying to make in the moment with the huge meta corpus of all medical research in the last, you know, 15 years or something. The way that that's searched for, the way that that's coaxed out, really a tough, uh, there's like a UX element to that in terms of like how how people even enter what they're looking for. There's a lot of problems there that I think are going to be uh, pretty pretty darn challenging. From what you just said, you, you guys are using uh, some degree of this already to inform maybe the, the, again, like you said, hypotheses that you're beginning with. So some of this is possible now. I imagine that we've got to find first the scientific literature that's accessible maybe freely, or we have to pay for access to all of these. And then there has to be enough of sort of a natural language processing system here and, and enough of a way to customize that maybe for specific drug terms um, to maybe find the sorts of clusters and correlations of terms, phrases, drugs, proteins, etc., to to even begin to generate ideas. That's kind of my guess as to how it would look like to get started. What has that process looked like from your perspective? Um, so in terms of uh, the technology perspective side of it, so um, working on natural language processing uh, systems, um, there are two streams of data that you can utilize. So one is what's called structured data. So these are often databases that are uh, created for each of the uh, you know, specific use cases. It could be you know, around uh, relationships between a drug and a, a disease, let's say. And these are often uh, curated by humans. So uh, experts, um, uh, they, they scan literature or they are doing experiments and they populate these databases. So these often um, form a very small subset of all the possible, uh, all the facts that are out there. Um, but you can bring all of this together, and it's a fairly complex task as well, trying to you know harmonize across you know maybe hundreds of different uh, sources of structured data and bring it together. Uh, but then what you can do is that you can use this to seed natural language processing systems, so to use those to train um, uh, natural language processing AI systems that then, based on that, can go and read literature, extract similar kinds of facts and information from literature, and again pull it together and into uh, into form that is then uh, servable to both humans. And as you said, you know there there's a UX element to it, and you have to you know work on you know how I'm going to represent all this information yeah. in a digestible format to to you know drug discoverers or biologists. But there is also subsequent machine learning algorithms that are sitting on top of that data trying to actually model the entirety of those uh, relationships, all the networks that have been discovered through the, through the scanning the literature or through other data sources that, that have been ingested. And then those models can then start generating hypotheses that they can start doing in, making inferences that then are hypotheses that we can take to labs and, and test them. Huh, yeah, so many sort of facets of AI in one application there. Uh, I, I'm certainly... Certainly optimistic that we'll see more progress in that space, but lots of moving parts. Um, and, and maybe this will sort of transition us into what I think would be a nice way to kind of wrap things up in the interview, which is kind of an eye to the future. Right now, you've chatted, Amir, with us about a few different areas where maybe the scientific process as it is today might be better informed, might be more efficient if we can leverage artificial intelligence in, in a bit of a better way. 
um, you folks are working right now on some of the searching of the literature and sort of, you know, clustering different fact- factors among potential patients. When you look maybe, you know, five or 10 years out at sort of the zeitgeist of drug development in general, sort of where, where all of this is headed, what the future might look like, what are the AI capabilities that, that you think sort of in the longer term are really going to be powerful to kind of transform the industry? It's not going to be an overnight thing, but what's kind of the big game vision that's compelling for you in terms of AI making a difference here? Um, I think I think one of the key areas is, um, as I mentioned, um, trying to create models that cover multiple stages of uh, discovery. So as as we spoke about, um, there is a data machine reading side of the um, story where you know the the algorithms are reading literature, extracting information that is uh, that's relevant. And, and these are, you know, things that, you know, uh, is, is humanly impossible. You know, nobody can read all those literature. Nobody can read all the uh, all the patterns. So you really need uh, machines to be able uh, to do that. I think on, on top of that sits, you know, further algorithms that are, again, deeply integrated with each other, trying to further and further make their way into, into different stages of drug discovery. So that being, you know, generating uh, biological ideas or hypotheses, creating chemistry, so creating novel compounds that then can be used uh, to, to treat uh, diseases, to tie all of these into lab experiments. So uh, imagine you know, that uh, your, your algorithms are uh, autonomously working with the labs that are also automated, so they can synthesize a compound and then run your experiment and send the results back to your models. And these models are able to uh, why mechanisms such as active learning uh, improve themselves over time while also creating uh, compounds that are better and better. Uh, so this kind of tight integration between multiple stages and multiple algorithms, I think, is going to be uh, quite fascinating to to, uh, to to see developing future. I was seeing in my mind, Amir, and I, I want to make sure I'm not seeing the wrong thing, but I'm seeing in my mind a, a process where we have these sort of entities is probably too much of an anthropomorphized word, but where we have different yeah. AI systems working on different phases of, of the pipeline here, there's there's artificial intelligence that's constantly combing um, medical literature to maybe find promising correlations across a lot of different papers for a specific disease or specific set of symptoms or whatever the case may be, and is sort of trained to find underlying patterns to identify diseases at a deeper level or you know, compounds at a deeper level or what have you. And then when hypotheses are generated, that those would be sort of spit out to another system that might look through actual patient records and actual genetic information and might see if that hypothesis might have any bearing in the physical world. And that anything that maybe passes that bar of bearing in the physical world uh, would maybe get approval from a human who would give it a thumbs up that it would be financially viable at which point it would go to some automated lab that would run initial tests with robotic arms and test tubes, uh, and then would produce a report for humans to see if they'd want to go further with the test. This is sort of like the, you know, the the twenty thirty Jetsons version of drug discovery that I have in my mind. I don't know how far off it is, but it sounded like that's kind of what you were describing. No, no, exactly, exactly, and that is that is the uh, direction that we go as a company. Um, because we have each of these components right now in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, again, generating hypotheses through, through models, generating chemistry, generating compounds through models, looking into patient data, generating, you know, our own understanding of the diseases. 
Um, so I think in, in future, all of these systems will be uh, at a meta level, uh, collaborating, and, uh, as, as you described, you know, co-working together to actually solve the problem. And I think the role of uh, you know, drug discoverers will become more of a curators and, and, and looking into, again, a holistic picture of you know, what's going on rather than making tiny decisions at each of these stages trying to uh, micromanage, you know, you know, is this, you know, the hypothesis or is this, you know, the compound, et cetera, because these are going to be ubiquitous. You know, you will, you will have many compounds that could be potential drugs for the same uh, indication. So in, in a way, uh, what I see developing futures is really, you know, algorithms working at different stages, collaborating with each other, uh, together with automated labs, facilitating experimentation, and as a as a drug discoverer, you are basically you no know, uh, you are a curator. You are you are basically you know, a person that looks into all of these and actually does what humans are do well, which is you know, gather a lot of the, the uh, information from you know very disparate sources and trying to you know make a big picture um, view into into what's happening. Yeah, I think and again, just to be clear, as we as we close out here, Amir, I want to paint the picture of what the curator means you know the where my mind goes is i i see the quote unquote curator as determining maybe the possibility space of drugs that we are interested in so um, maybe instead of saying hey machine find correlations in the medical research to find new drugs instead of something like that we might sort of tailor and target specific compounds or even specific symptoms, diseases, et cetera, that that maybe we're working on there'd be some degree of pointing the cannon as opposed to solving random, minute, minuscule, obscure problems just for the sake of doing so. So sort of determining at a higher level, what, what kind of problems do we want to solve to make an impact for patients and to make an impact for the business? Um, and then secondly, approval through the different phases of, you know, do we want to run another test for this? Do we want to explore more options similar to this based on these results? Um, humans will certainly be reading the dashboards, but the decision to carry forward and commit resources or not will probably involve context that a drug discovery bot may not understand, right? It, it may not know that we just had layoffs or it may not know that we just raised money. And so those are going to be kind of human level decisions, the, the, how to point the cannons, how to point the tools, and then how to marshal the resources of the firm. That seems more people, but the clustering and the optimization seems more the machines. Again, I, I want to see if we're on the same page or if, or if you have maybe more color to add to that, Amir. Um, no, exactly. You're 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 right on uh, on spot on, on on that one. And again, when I when I say you know curators, um, what I mean is you know as a human, you are able to set up a problem. Say that you know I want you know a, a uh, this is the problem that I want to solve. But the way that you know the uh, to solve it would be more onto the algorithms and and robots that are doing the solving. And as a human, you are you know, sitting um, behind, as you say, maybe a dashboard or, or some uh, some setup, and you are basically observing the process of you know getting that, this problem solved, and and you are looking into you know what are the contingencies, what are the you know uh, as you say maybe further uh, experimentation that's needed. So you are mainly designing the problems for machines to solve, rather than you yeah. trying to solve every details of of uh, uh, those problems. Uh, well, th there's a lesson to be had here, Amir, for uh, for the folks in in pharma school right now tuned in, and in in, in biology school right now tuned in. I think, which is uh, be the person who's going to design the problems more so than the person who's going to work with the test tubes. That might be a little bit of word to the wise potentially in the next ten or fifteen years in this industry. 
I think we have a long way to go. But yes, I think, you know, uh, again, uh, you know, we will get to a point that machines can make better decisions than we do in terms of you know, each of these in, smaller uh, you know, components. So I think as, you know, as we go further down the line and with better algorithms emerging and better technology emerging and more integrations with the lab setups, I think, you know, there will be less of a need for human to actually make those decisions and more of a, you know, again, a global observer of the what's going on in the bigger picture. Global observer. All right. We can, we can end on that one. I dig it. Amir, that's, that's it for time. But this has been an, an excellent interview. Thanks for sharing your insights here on AI and industry. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for the time. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.